Welcome to the Woe Podcast about horses and horsemanship. I'm John Hare, and you found the place where we talk horses. Well, in last week's episode, I said, if the good Lord wanted me to do a podcast, he'd make it rain. And <laughs> for the last two days, we've gotten some rain. So, like I promised, I'm doing a podcast. I'm here with Dominico Somonte. Did I say that right, Dominico? Yes, you did. Thank how, you. how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. Perfect. Dominico is a local trainer here in Bakersfield, and I wanted to talk to him because I really love talking to local trainers because they're they're the guys with boots on the ground, so to speak. First of all, Dominico, how did you get your start in horses? Well, uh, I grew up uh, in a farm and a ranch in South America, you know. My grandfather used to have uh, a little ranch where they were with horses. They have a tractor, but they even sometimes they plow the land with the horses and and use horses uh, to work a little bit of the cattle and all that kind of work. So that's, you know, my memories go back to that particular time. So which country? Uh, Chile. Chile. It's next to Argentina. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's where I was born. And how did you learn about horses and horsemanship? Was it all by experience or did you dad? Uh, well, a little bit of both. You know, I learned, you know, at an early age certain things, you know, it was a lot for fun, but little by little I got interested in... When I admired people that really did amazing things with the horses, you know, but I wasn't particular. It was later in life that I became more interested in becoming professional on this, which I am in my quest to, I consider myself uh, somebody that is on the quest to become the best horseman that he can be personally for me, more than a trainer itself. Right. But, uh, that is uh, how I approach it, you know, that, that the horse can, can teach me a lot and I can be a good student of the horse. What kind of things did you do with horses in Chile then? Well, in Chile, we we used to do a, quite a few things. We used to swim with horses, which we really like, and rivers and little uh, streams and lakes. Then uh, we race horses too, you know, in match races, uh -huh. you know, two, three hundred yards. There is a, a local sport that the country has, which is called uh, the local rodeo, that they call it, which is uh, you ha you are in a um, half a moon type of arena and somebody is pushing a cow or herding a cow against the wall and somebody, the other rider, is keeping it on the wall until there is an area where you have to stop the cow against the wall and then come back and switch places. That's what they call it, the local... Rodeo in Chile. That's one of the. So I did a little bit of that, uh -huh. but it was a lot and and going out on the trail, going up to the mountain, catching some horses that were turned loose, mustangs as they call it here mm -hmm. in the United States, the Mustang. You know, the right. mustangio is a horse that you might breed loose up in the mountain, and once a year you go and get, you know, what you pick. The, the yearlings and bring them down the mountain and then you train them. So right. those are basically the stuff that I did uh, with horses before I moved to Spain because uh, my mother uh, is uh, Spanish ancestry to my grandfather being Spanish. So I moved at a young age uh, to Spain. What kind of horses were there in Chile? In Chile, they had developed a horse that come from the 
Spanish that the stock that the Spanish brought uh -huh. back, you know, in the 1500s, and uh, they call it the Chilean horse or the Chilean corralero by working in the corrals, you know, which is right. the one that they do the sport, the rodeo that they do. Right, right. It's the I was uh, inquiring more about it and reading more about it, and it's the oldest uh, registry in in the whole American continent. And so wow. they've been they've been uh, preserving and breeding those horses for quite a few centuries. And uh, it's a good cow horse for right. what I do. It's not a big horse, you know. Most of them are four, between 14 and 14, 2, 14, 3 at the most, you know. So it's, it's not a tall horse. But it's the old Spanish Andalusian that they bred that way in that particular country. Oh. You find in Argentina the, the Criollo that they breed and they right. make it a little bit bigger for what they do. So it, it accommodates to whatever sport right, they right. do. So then, what, what age were you when you moved to Spain? Uh, I was uh, about 20 years old when, uh, when I moved to Spain. Uh -huh. you know, and Spain has a big tradition with horses. You know? uh, I wish I could have done more in Spain with horses, but uh, I, I was into other things, you know, motorcycles, which was... The, right. <laughs> it was the horse with two wheels that, you know... Much more exciting uh, for a 20-year-old. Allow me to go in, in, in quite a few countries. Uh, um, in, in Europe on, on my motorcycle in the summers, you know, uh, so that was beautiful. Uh, looking back, you know, I was uh, I, I, I witnessed quite a few things, uh, you know, with horses, especially particularly in Spain and some parts in the south part of France, you know, that people I consider that they're very good horsemen too, right, you know, the, right. the south part of France, uh, the French. And when did you really decide you wanted to be a horse trainer? Well, you know, like I said before, you know, I, I, I don't consider myself as a horse trainer, though that's what I do, but uh, I consider more of a horseman because I feel that a horseman, being the word in English, you know, the half is horse and the other half is man, uh, is a more, more complete and embodies for me to become, you know, almost a half horse so I can read that horse, I can feel that horse, and I can do with that horse the most that I am capable of every day, I hope. Okay, and then when did you, what time in your life did you decide, I really want to start focusing on the horse and my relationship? It came, it came later for me uh, in my life, you know. It was after, after I turned 40. Oh, really? You know, yeah, that I, uh, uh, I decided, you know, this is one of the things that is, I sort of, I was putting it off for a while, you know, and, and I still have all that interest, but definitely, you know, for me, I think the most important thing about horse training, or in this case, a horseman, is that I feel that it makes me a better person. So right. if I can be better for the horse, I'll be better for the my fellow humans, and that to me is, it's, it's the core of my life, you know. Good, you know, to good. become a better human. Right. I don't. Yeah. I cannot think who in the world will not want that. Exactly. You know, yeah. whatever is the embodiment in anybody's words of becoming a, a better human to yourself and indirectly to whoever is around you. you know? Right. Right. Where did you pick up your horsemanship yeah. knowledge? I learned uh, some in, uh, in in Chile, and then some in Spain, and then I continue learning here in the United States. Uh, and coming to the United States, I uh, fell in love 
with the West, you know. Right. Of course, uh, they're movies, but I always was, uh, you know, reading about it. And there is something about this nation that uh, made me want to come, you know, made me want to come to study and, and, and then to stay here. Did you have trainers you worked for? No, I haven't had trainers that I work for. I, I've been, you know, watching some clinics and reading books and then uh, writing a lot and focusing. A lot of writing in, in my own, taking horses on the trail and then finding place where you can work the horse even when you... You are not in an arena, but you find out in the country a place in the open where you will work with horse and keep traveling. Sometimes I will take a horse on a trip by three days and work with the horse for three days. Right, And right. then come back, things like that, and writing notes about what I had. Now we have the, the commodity of having the phone that you can watch things or you can uh, watch an interview or you can try it out. And then your own, your own awareness, too, I think is very important you know, to have teachers, but also to be aware of, of, of how your skills are becoming better, especially in sensing the horse. The skills are very important because that's what you achieve. But for that, you got to have the knowledge of right. the horse. Otherwise, right. you will not be able to apply my, those skills, I, I believe. So yeah. why somebody that has a lot of skills, you know that they are reading the horse. They know. How to read the horse. Yeah, we met when we're out at the end of the road ranch. We talked to uh, Joanne Galbraith on an episode earlier. We met out here because I use their arena, and I see you're working with two horses. Tell me a little bit about those horses that you're working right now. Yeah, well, the first horse that it has, a, I have a little bit more time on it, is a Tennessee Walker horse mm -hmm. that about. Uh, uh, for reading the teeth and checking the age, about three years old, more or less, right there. The lady wants to do some trail riding, most of it. Uh, the horse uh, has been very sensitive and very uh, skittish, so I've been working, taking her out and just uh, handle her on the ground a lot, rubbing her and making her feel comfortable and myself to you know, in every place on that horse, right? You right. know, in every area, touching it and rubbing it, and, and you know, I'm being honest. Uh, I think it's important being to be honest with the horse. You know, I think they sense that um, the horse tells you uh, where they are. You know, has you work with them. This place is such a, a great location to take a horse out because the the end of the road ranch has. Grapevines on one side, alfalfa fields on another side. Uh, I'm not sure what they're growing, some sort of silage right behind silage, us Silage, correct. And, I mean, you can go out on, on these farm roads and you can ride pretty much for as long as right. you want, right? Yes, and uh, use every obstacle. Uh, I personally believe in using every obstacle that you can find over there, right. especially when the horse is afraid of, when you see those those ears, you know, going to that, stop there and work the horse and take the time so they can they can grow, you know, mentally taking that their brain, you know, unlocking that that brain right. that they they don't feel you know threatened and they start thinking more than just being reactive. What are some of the obstacles you've run into out here? There are some um, garbage, con concrete, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
unfortunately, it's people uh, garbage, and, was, and that will be dead animals sometimes on the side mm -hmm. of the road. Right. Unfortunately, you uh, know, right. unfortunately that you find that. So by nature, the horse is uh, wants to get out of that. You know, they smell death. Right. Uh, with me, I just um, teach them to to stay there with me. We she, the horse is alert. That's, that's okay because their instincts. But I teach them to be alert. There is a canal too that when it's dry, you can go in the canal and then come up on the other side and work your way back. I take some trips to the river nearby, which is about uh, 12 miles, I think, an mm -hmm. area where you can trail ride alongside of the Kern River right. and you find a lot of the obstacles there and, and you can get them and the horses in the water and also you can go up and down and some embankments too, you know, some little cleft that you right. can make your horse for their footing and also to, I think a, a young horse or any horse, but especially a young horse needs to venture out and as you are riding out there on the trail, you are working your horse. So at the beginning, it helps you to be very focused on it because anything that that horse does, it means something and we, right need to understand and read that the best possible to decide what are you going to do right. with that in, in, in the moment, you know, yeah. because it's in the moment. You are in the moment. The horse is in the moment and you are in the moment. So you need to, to act in the moment and not before, no after. And what about the other horse you're working with? The other horse is a horse that, that came uh, about three weeks ago. The owner, which is a young young lady, about 20 years old, and wants to learn about horses, they bought the horse, and it seemed like I was just uh, just started, but something along the way, you know, wasn't quite right because the young lady couldn't handle the horse on the ground. She never got to ride it, so so uh, when it came, I I did check on the horse, and I decided just to start all over. From, from zero uh -huh. on the horse, you know. Sometimes that's the best way, right? Uh, I feel like it's because that way you're going through different things with the horse, you know, they give you, I personally like to pick up their feet, also see how skittish they are, you know, how much can you handle them from, from the halter, leading them left, right, backing up, sideways, you know that they can stay put, ground tighten, right. working with a pad, working with a saddle, or working with that, you know, rope over the saddle or or a whip, you know, that you can have to make a sounds with them and you know what they call it here uh, in the United States, you know, suck them out, put up a bag or something, walk over it and and also, you know, flap it around. The sky is the limit with that, but the horse somehow will be telling you your next step. And, and I think that is crucial for us. Uh, obviously, we will make mistakes, but uh, as long as those mistakes are not, uh, are not that big, you can always just go back and try something this way and try right. something the other way. So, because uh, you got to get a hold of that mind, you know, because a horse... Even though if you, you know, when you are a lot of, a lot of uh, lateral flexion at the beginning right. th that we do on the ground and then also on the horse, I, I feel that it's very important to get a hold of that, of that nose, of that head, bending, a lot of bending. But even though you do a lot of that, 
uh, the horse can can still maybe run off from you, you know, because yeah. they're powerful. You know, they might stiff that neck and yeah. no matter how much you do for a while, you know, uh, they can they, they can go. But that's why it's important that that you get that that mind and and they come to you for the most that you can achieve with the horse. That will give you uh, more to feel more. Um, safe but no more that that you are more of the leader basically right, because right. you want to be the leader in their minds and not just to be the leader by using the tools are these two horses alike in personality or are they different they're they're very different you know one uh, uh it's been very skittish i've been doing a lot of things with that horse i feel unlocked that brain but uh, at the moment, she is doing good in the sense that if she's scared of something, you know, like the other day we were, I was riding by the canal and a couple of uh, ducks you right. know, flew over the water and made that noise. And she just turned around and wanted to run and, and I hold her and she stayed, you know. That kind of thing that as long as she's not backing or trying to run away and get startled out, you know, I can handle that and I hope that will get better because um, I want the lady that bought that horse, that young horse, to be safe on the horse, you know. And I also feel that how can I learn more from that horse, you right. know, how I can get them that, that uh, when that happens, it will be a less startle next time, you know, things like that. It's, it's, uh, and it's a quest in the sense like I... I I just wanted to reiterate that it, uh, it it tells me where I am also. For me, it's not a job. It is a job and it's not, but it, it, because I take it that it's directly related to who I am as a person right now. And the skills are there in one level and you're always getting them higher and better and better, you know, and I don't think there is ending to that. Right. But it, it just shows me how I can handle the situation which i feel that i that will that will uh show later and how i can handle situations with uh, with humans right. too uh, for me i take it that way you know yeah. I, I i know that that uh, probably you know it's not related with horses for with horses but it is for me you've worked with horses in in South America, you've traveled to Spain. Have you had adventures with horses in other parts of the country? In another part of the country or in another or, part or, of the world? Or just tell us about your adventures. Oh, okay, yeah. And I did a nice ride when I was young uh, in Chile that we went close to the border with Argentina riding some horses over there. There were some races, match races, and then we went there and then watched the races a little, but then we ventured off for our couple of hours to to ride in the country uh, that was interesting in spain i did ride and, and work with horses on too i did some roman uh, roads old roads you know that the romans oh, built really? and it was interesting wow. for me i like history and you know going you know over a bridge that is has a scripture that it was you know built on the bridge Good by Lord. Caesar Augustus, you know, oh my you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, you know, that's a, wow, you know, this is like, you know, this is, this is history here. Right. And, you know, when you are on that, it makes you feel contradictory feelings because 
you feel like, wow, you are under something important. At the same time, you feel that in your own life, you have achieved so little. <laughs> you know, this yeah. thing is still standing, it's 2,000 years 2, old. 2,000 years you old, know? what have I done? Right? <laughs> you know, right, right, right. That's how it came to me. Riding in Utah, I used to go with a fellow when I came to study. Uh, I got lucky and I met this uh, older cowboy that is passed on now, and he invited me in the you know, southwest part of Utah to, to go and ride a couple of his horses. He had a young horse, and I said, you know, I, I can help you. Uh, with a young horse, you know, he was older and I'll ride the young horse and you ride, you know, your your older horse. So we went, we traded and went a couple of hours south of Salt Lake City and went into the mountains and saw some wild horses out there. Ooh. It was beautiful. And yeah. that is, is the, the, the western southern part, you know, uh -huh. close to the border with Nevada. Right, there. right. And later on I came to find out that according to history, in Utah, there used to be a, a tribe part of Utah, and I think it took part of Colorado and, uh, and Arizona now, the Utes. And mm -hmm. they, there was a great chief called Wakara that is, is said that it did the biggest raid of stealing horses from California approximately in the year 1840 when there were some missions here, the Spanish missions. Right, right. So they rounded up horses from San Diego to San Luis Obispo oh and different missions and they said that they round them up and put it in different places near the Cajon Pass out there in near the Apple Valley and then they headed up to in the, in the old Spanish trail all the way to Utah with oh about 3,000 horses oh and it says that uh, they got over there with about 2,000 horses but uh, I cannot imagine, and according to the history, they said it's, it's true. There was a the, the chief and also an Anglo, an American fellow named uh, Pegleg, I think, uh, Smith. It was his name, according to the history that I read about. Right. And knowing that in that part of Utah, some of the horses, they have a lot of Spanish ancestry, right. and a lot of people and historians are saying that some horses of those are remaining from those raids that they did because they, they sold a lot into Santa Fe, New Mexico because the old Spanish trail come from what is, you know, Santa Fe and, and New Mexico and then goes to the southern part of Utah, then Nevada and then will come all the way south into Los Angeles. That was the, old the, Spanish, the, trail. the old Spanish trail or the Santa Fe trail as is known to right. the, you know, today. And there's people that uh, I believe have done it that whole trail because I believe there are markers in, in, in Nevada and in California that are markers. I haven't seen those markers. I only seen the markers in Utah where could, there's a sign and it says the trail goes here. Could you just imagine you're riding along with 2,000 other horses trying to drive them? That's got to yeah. be 1,500 uh, miles, uh, right? I would. My car from Los Angeles to Salt Lake City uh, is about 700 miles, but if you're going in a trail and all of that, it will be a, a lot right. more. But I think the logistics of it, you know, the water, and I think the vaqueros, the, you know, the Spanish and Mexican vaqueros, at that point it was Mexico already, you know that California was, Mexico became in uh, 1821, right. became, you know, part of Mexico. So it wasn't Spanish California, you know, but it was all in there because the people, you know, just, they, they changed uh, citizenship, but it wasn't the people, you know. Right. And I think the logistics to do that, you know, the yeah. logistics to round it up, steal it in this mission, put it in that place, strategic place, and steal it from that until they have it all, and then let's go. 
and figure out the ones that you can ride. Right. So the vaqueros were never going to cash with them because the Indians had, you know, a big, the whole thing is a remuda. <laughs> you know, the whole right. thing is a remuda. They can switch horses and keep going and whatever is no, you know, it, 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 it can't keep up. It will be left behind and let's right. go. They never cash. And so I thought it would be, and the logistics would be an interesting, you know, uh, film to make. Yeah. That, you know, oh, imagine. I was fascinated with that. And according to what I had read and talked to people, they say it's true, you know, because sometimes you can't believe everything. Right. So, Dom, I understand that you took a ride from Los Angeles to Lake Isabella. Isn't that almost 200 miles? Uh, well, yeah, John, it's close to it. Estimation is about 175 miles wow. uh, oh on that gosh. trail from uh, northern Los Angeles. Uh, we started, it's the Pacific Crest Trail that travels right goes from the border with mexico to 160 something miles into canada okay so, you know. and that's all open trail so and public can ride on this trail. right in, in fact you know it's is is uh it's taken care by people and organizations you know so a lot of the hikers they can do that the trail on foot or on uh, on horseback you know and how did you on burro back you know <laughs> mule back <laughs> how did you come to to make that trip <laughs> well you know i didn't carry my horse on my back but the horse <laughs> carried me <laughs> a, a friend of mine you know wanted to do a, a, a sort of a, the old west kind of thing and tra traveling with a horse and so I, uh, I decided to get a couple of the horses that I had and we planned the trip from northern Los Angeles on that particular trail to close to Lake Isabella. Not quite to Lake Isabella, a little bit farther south. But uh, so we did it in seven days, 175 miles and seven days and six nights. Just two horses, no a packing horse. Right. So, you know, you had your, your bedroll, and we had some grain for the horses, which lasted like a three or four days only. Right. And then we had to graze them, you know, in, uh, in the evenings and in the mornings because uh, it was still grass up in the mountains, you know, it's not a high, high altitude. Right. So it was uh, interesting. Uh, we did it in July, which is uh, a little hot out there. Yes, yeah. And uh, we ran into some problems with water, which uh, luckily for the horses, we found the water for them because, you know, once they get dehydrated, you know, it's, it's hard a to dangerous get zone, right. you know. So, so you had to come out of Los Angeles. And right. I, I rode on the 14, the freeway 14 that comes out of the 405 and the 5 there, right. northern Los Angeles by the San Fernando Valley where it started, into Lancaster and sort of uh, around Agua Dulce, the turn off to get off to Agua Dulce or Baskets Rocks. Be, right before that, I right. went in a road that I I can't remember now, but there is an exit there, and I went east, and that's where I will find the trail that will be coming. I uh, I could have picked it up farther south and the other side of the San Gabriel Mountains, because uh, it, it goes over the San Gabriel Mountains, uh, which is at the northern eastern part of Los Angeles, and then it goes into a sort of east direction and then south again into Mexico. Okay. So, but I picked it up a few miles north of the San Fernando Valley, so to say, right. in right. Los Angeles. And from there to a few miles south 
of uh, Lake Isabella, you know, where it will continue going up, you know, and the Sierras right. and all of that and through the other, you know, estates until you get to Canada. And so when you're riding all through Antelope Valley, um, Palmdale, Lancaster area. Yeah, you cross the 138. It does cross the 138. Yeah, and that's, that's all high desert. Yeah. That's pretty dry area. Pretty dry area. And it, what, uh, what it was sort of, um, I'm looking for the word, sort of like, uh, I don't have the word, but uh, uh, sorry. <laughs> but... Uh, we we stay there one night off of the 138. There is a place where a lot of the hikers, because uh, most of the hikers that do this in six months walk from one end, south end of the country to the right. north end of the country on the trail, they start in April. Right. Okay. Right. And they got to be finished by uh, October because of the snow farther right. north. Okay. Right. So, but we went in July. So the place, the trail was completely alone you know there was i didn't we didn't encounter anybody Is that on right? the trail wow you know, nobody no a hiker we saw some tracks of people that had right. been there but we didn't encounter we didn't cross path with anybody wow you, we found different places you know coming on the uh, los padres no no it's not los padres los angeles national forest right you know from crossing the the 14 because you you get off on the 14 and you go east and then you pick up the trail and then you cross the 14 freeway and then you go into Chihuahua Dulce, it goes Chihuahua Dulce uh -huh. and then it, it, it crosses the Sierra Highway and you get into the Los Angeles forest coming up north right. there. The part I was going to mention was that, that uh, on the 138, which is the ending part or the, the west part of the... Um, Desert right there where Lancaster is, uh, if you can help me with the name of it. It's, uh, it's, well, it's the, the, the Mojave Desert. The Mojave Desert, right. thank you. The western part of the Mojave Desert, right there, that part of the 138 where the trail is still considered the west end of the of, of the desert. Right, you know? right. And then you... And then go alongside of the aqueduct. Right. And you had that aqueduct that at that point, at the beginning, it was uh, uh, in a lot of the sections, you can't get because it's, it's, it's concrete. Yes. And, and you can't go, you have that water, right? but, but you can't get to it. <laughs> and then there is some sort of siphons or uh, wells next to that that you can lift the, uh, a little gate and then you will find water down there. Right. But they were all locked. Ah. They have a lock, ah. so you can open it and get water down there either. Right. So you're walking alongside because the trail goes alongside of a big section, north of the 138, coming north into the Tehachapi Mountains, through that aqueduct, but you can't get to the water. My so that was like, okay, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we had the water, but we don't. Yeah, know? right. And uh, fortunately, we did okay. Close to the Tehachapi Mountains, we we found a faucet. That it was left there in, right. a, in a little creek. We opened it and we could get water from there. Oh, we, good. we stay in that part of the, of the desert. I decided to do it in early in the morning. That day we to cross that most of the desert and in one day we started at uh, 4 4 a.m. Mm -hmm. and then rode until about 11 and then rest. Found an area in a creek to rest. And until about 5 p.m., 
you know, we rest for about five or six hours where right. we found water, uh, still cool. There was some trees and an underpass of a creek that is a dry creek. And then we finished to get to the to the uh, south part of the Tehachapi Mountain and found another spring where to spend the night. But that's the way that we approached that section of the How close of did the you Mojave get to, Desert. How close did you get to Lake Isabella? I will venture from Lake Isabella. It'll be... A, Probably about uh, at least 25 miles. 25 miles. Did you see any wildlife there? We saw some deer. Uh, I found some bear uh, tracks. Uh, but you know there's there are black bear there. Right, right. You know I hope uh, because as far as I know the only grizzly remaining is the one on the flag of uh, California. There is no more grizzlies here, <laughs> you know, luckily. So, but other than that, and you know some coyotes and you know falcons. And right. Yeah. Other than that, we didn't we didn't encounter you know mountain lions. Didn't see any tracks of it, but they should probably see us, and we didn't see them. You know? Right. What a great ride. What a yeah, great seven ride. days and six nights. Yeah. It was uh, interesting to see the country that way. From there, yeah. yeah. From, you know, from that point of view. And I think it, uh, one of the things that I got out of that too, that if I am walking with, because we did pretty much all a walk, you know. Right. If I'm taking in all this information, all, all, all this scenery, whatever is coming at me, at a walk of a horse, in a walking horse, you know, that also, when we're teaching and working with the horse, how much can he take in at the beginning and the middle and the finish stages at uh, uh, one particular speed? Right. Because it's so much coming at you. Yeah. That would be, depending on if you're working outside, if you're working in the arena, how that can be related. I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, that's know. good. That's good. Yeah. And so by the end of that trip, how different were your horses from the beginning? Well, I think they were a little tough. <laughs> 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 Though we walk, you know, we treat them the best that we could. But uh, I wonder if they were thinking, you know, my gosh, you know, how long right, <laughs> we're right. going to keep riding every day. Though we're walking, you know, and we will, <laughs> we will probably, uh, you know, ride uh, eight to ten hours you know, a day, you know. Yeah. You know and That's a great story. I'm glad we got yeah, that in. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful country. I encourage anybody to, to see. I cannot imagine how it would be going into the Sierras. Yeah. The scenery must be breathtaking going into the Sierras on I that trail. So, and anything else? So you've been to, you've ridden the roads of Rome. You've ridden in Utah, southern Utah. Uh, southern Utah, and then I did uh, one of the other things. I did a, a group of people, uh, two ladies actually. They decide to do a, a ride from mission to mission. You know, there's 22 missions right. in the Alta California, so from San Diego all the way to uh, Sonoma. They decide to ride on horseback. From mission to mission, as it said, it used to be in the old times. Right, because yeah. the missions were one day's ride away from It says to be that, but I think in some places, having ridden it, it could be more than that. Uh, now they have put some belts on the road, the Royal Road, they call it, you know, uh -huh. the, the, the Camino Real right. Royal Road. Uh, they did it in two years, riding from, from Sonoma to San Diego, took off in the summertime, and on summer and, and autumn. So I came to the second year, you know, they rode from Sonoma to the mission of uh, San Miguel uh -huh. uh, near San Luis Obispo. Yeah, that right. mission. So right. they rode 
from the north to that, and then the next year they did the second leg from San Miguel to San Diego. So I came for the second leg from San Miguel to San Diego, and we did that a little bit over, uh, in about 40 days, for a month, I think we did it, because you know we will stay some days in some places, because the logistic that you had to do, you can't do it, uh, how it was because the, now there is private property, there right, is uh, right. fences, there is freeways, there is you gotta ask for permissions if you can go through here. So it's not like the open land like it used to be. You right. know? So you can't follow the exactly the route. So how did you do that? I was one of the riders, you know. Right. I was the uh, being with my passion for the the history of California. It comes a little bit because I grew up in a sort of. A, mission-like type of uh, home back uh -huh. in Chile that it was built by the Spanish, you know. So when I came to the United States and I saw the mission for the first time, it took me way back to Spain and back to, to Chile too, you know, because the same sort of quadrangle, the oldest houses, the older houses over there in Chile, they are built that way, uh -huh. you know. There's a quadrangle and you have a corridor outside and a corridor inside. Right. So it reminds you of that immediately. But anyway, in doing that, they had, you have the riders, and then you have another crew that will ride the trailers right. for the horses. So How in many? some areas, you cannot ride, so you got to trailer a section, uh, and then you can ride. according to the map and what you saw for that particular day and all of that, then keep going, you know. And uh, how many riders were there? There was about, I think about eight to ten riders that okay. were, and I... The ladies that uh, were doing this ride, because the passion of riding horses, they saw my interest with the with the vaquero culture, you know, right. and so I was dressed in the old customs of the Californians of that cool. time, which I made myself. And, you know, I had to make the saddle right. close to what it was, the clothing, because that, that, those particular type of uh, equipment, you know. No, all of it is used today, you know, right, they, they right. use a particular time of uh, uh, boot that they have, particular p type of um, chaps that they had, and, and the hat, I even made the hat, oh, you know, out of God. leather, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it taught me a lot of uh, other things and the passion for that. So one of the things that I really like about that was that was the, the mission in uh, La Purísima, which is near Lompoc. I don't know if you ever visit that mission, but it's isolated out there, and it probably tells you the way it was right. then, because some of the missions are in the middle of the city, you right, know, so right. you don't get that that feeling. Uh, but over there in La Purísima, and there is other ones farther north, like San Antonio de Padua, too, which is near San Miguel, uh, you know, that it's in, it's in the east side of the Hertz Castle, you know. You know, Randall Hertz, it used to uh, own right. a lot of the land on the other side by the ocean, but it came very close to what the mission was, you know. There is a road that goes uh, from Santa Ines off of the 101, and you go into the mountains, that mountain range, and you can see the ocean, and you can see the Santa Ines River on one side. And I found that beautiful Camino al Cielo, and that is the area yes, that will man. take you to where Ronald Reagan Ranch is. Right, right. The Ronald Reagan Ranch is over there, you know, that was that was a surprise for me because I didn't know that that was there where he will retreat and, right. and be there, you know. So riding that section of the road, Camino al Cielo, and that mountain range, and you, you can see the ocean, and then you can see the valleys and the Santa Ines River to your uh, north part. 
I consider it really beautiful to do that and see that out there is is beautiful. What a great way to see the country. Amazing. You could see I was, uh, we were riding and I will look down into Santa Barbara down there and I will see one of those uh, cruisers. Oh, right, right. I see the modern over there. We're riding over here and at the distance into Santa Ines, you know, I have a pair of uh, binoculars and I will look and I could see some people down below with some cows moving them. And so I could see riding that and then right you know right. a cruiser over there you know with and full probably, of people probably off in the distance you could see the channel islands yes. too yes right. yes beautiful which i never been to but one day i would like to yeah. to go i heard that they they used to have some uh, i think a bison over there in those islands or right something. yeah and they used I, to i don't know if they do but uh, and there are some horses still i believe on santa cruz island island or cattle i don't know if it was bison or cattle that they have yeah on, they on i think Somebody was running cattle over there. Yeah, but yeah, and, and all of that that we I was able to do is because of the horse. Right. You know, so that's mm. and doing that took me more uh, more passion for for this. And also, I came to learn, as I was mentioning to you the other day, that according to the findings, the horse did originated, you know, over 15 right. million years ago in this land here in North right. America. So it's it's originated here according to what they have found. The scientific founds no other place in the world right here right. so even more so we are in the land of the horse so in your career in your horsemanship career has there been one horse that that you learned so much from that they've been several horses you know that uh, probably i hope that if they could talk they will say well this guy tried to do his best and we have a a good relationship, you know, that's what I would like for a horse to say about me. And, uh, you know, when I was in Chile, I have a, a, a nice uh, um, white horse that was part Arabian and part Chilean horse, you know. And I did a lot of things with that horse. I remember that. And uh, there was another horse, too, that uh, used to go up uh, into the mountains to, to catch those uh, mustangs, you know, those mustangs, right. you know, right. uh, out there. And you got to rope them out there, you know, and there will be uh, pine trees and then a big clear. And you hope in that clear you can at least get close enough, which a lot of the times were done with the, what they call it in California, the reata larga, you know, the long... Because right. you can reach more, you know, right. and it was for the wind down there you use for your loop because a lot of the time it's windy, you use a ring, you oh. use a heavy ring, so that way when you throw, the wind will not throw it back on right. You. So instead right. of a regular Hondo, a Hondo, it will be a, a ring, you know, it will cool. also the it will be a rope or also could be a reata, you know, right out of the leather, you know, too. So the, it will depend. Uh, and what is your preference but the ring you know they consider it down very important on that because of the weight that adds to it so and over here I have a stallion that uh, it come from a Spanish ancestry and that horse um, I, I work with him and I've been able to to uh, to teach him you know the Spanish walk he can um, stretch when I mount him he can sit lay down uh -huh. with me or from the ground you know things like that and I want to teach him other things you know it's, right. it's uh, so that is he's been a very noble very noble horse and uh, it's uh, it's it's all Spanish in his uh, 
breeding. Very know? cool. You know, yeah. so those being the horses that I can somehow remember and they can they, they make me a better person. You know, that's yeah. that's that's to me that's it's very important. That's one of the things when I cannot when I feel that I cannot you know become better through the horse, I guess I will I will leave the horse. You right. know, because uh, there would be nothing that I can offer. You know? Right. Well, this has been a lot of fun, Dominic. I'm uh, so glad that uh, we sat down together and got to hear a little bit of your history and some of your stories and your philosophy on horses and humans. That's been really a lot of fun. <laughs> well, we are humans, you know. I don't know how the, exactly well, I don't know how the horses see us, you know, other than a predator. But I just wanted to thank you, John, for this. And also, I feel very privileged to have a friend on uh, on Joanne here and on the whole crew well, thank you. that are here in this location where we are at now. Yeah. Great. Is there uh, anything else that you wanted to bring up? I, I think that to whoever is interested in horses, just to, there is always the next day. You right. Know? There is always the next day, but uh, just take it as your last day as well. You know, it's, it's that sort of that dichotomy, you know, that is, right. is, there is another day, but also today Treat it like is your the last day, yeah. too. It's always there, you know. Right. One day will be the last day, you know. There is no way around that. But in order to, to that relationship become better, through that the skills get better, I believe, and also other people can, can get more enthusiastic uh, right. about what they are doing, with horses and whether they know it or they are not aware of or they are aware of, you know, indirectly, I feel that uh, we have the opportunity, whether we take it or not, you know, that is up to us to become better humans you know, right. through the horse. What a great philosophy. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, yeah. Dominic. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. So if people want to find out more about you, Dominic, or contact you, where can people find you? Uh, well, you know, I can, I have my phone most of the time when I am the horse because I try to spend most of the time uh, on the horse and no under. <laughs> if you know what it's <laughs> like. <laughs> so my phone number is 661-363-9149 if you ever have a question or anything related to horses. Please give me a call and I'll be glad to be there. Very good. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That will do it for this episode. I really enjoyed this visit with Dominico Somonte. We've had a few conversations between work and our horses, and he has led a very interesting life. Dom loves history and is knowledgeable on California lore. When I watch him work horses, he's thoughtful and deliberate. And you can tell he really respects the horse. Thanks, Dom, for sitting down with me for an hour and sharing just a little bit of your story. As always, if you'd like to share a story or experience about your horse or suggest a guest, let's hear it. Send an email to john at woepodcast.com or connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram under the name Podcast. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening and sharing the podcast with your friends and riding buddies. Until next time, for Renee, this is John Hare saying, go have some fun with your horses. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.